This special edition upload of the Game Sports Show brought to you by Compass Imaging and Signage as well as Demansky Office Interiors. Compass Imaging and Signage is a large format print shop, posters, banners, vehicle graphics, advertising, trade show displays, decals, wayfindings, signs of all kinds, graphic design, fine art reproduction, and custom work. You can check them out at www.compassimaging.com. Demansky Office Interiors is a well-recognized, full-service office furniture dealer and design company in Sault Ste. Marie and Algoma area for over 40 years. DOI represents leading manufacturers such as Herman Miller, Nightingale, 3H Manufacturing, Group LaCase, and Focal Upright Seating, with much more. Now, here's the best part of it all. Both fantastic businesses are located in one spot. 500 Industrial Park Crescent Unit 1 in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Make sure to stop by today and don't forget to check them out on social media as well, Facebook or Instagram. Booyah, and it's time for the Game Sports Show special edition upload powered by the Game Entertainment and Media Gem for short, along with the GameSportsShow.com. You're currently listening to the game through one of the many media platforms, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Facebook, Instagram, or through, the, of course, the website. Now, getting to our special edition co-host, a man who is a true warrior on the ice, was a true warrior on the ice, underrated tough guy, again reminding you that he's a pure legend for his trademark clap bomb from the top of the circle, wind-up, click-click room, Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, my friend? It's going good, man. It's good to be back and uh, looking forward to this episode. Yeah, another good episode, of course. And now getting to our special edition guest, known for his pure hands, legendary 300-goal season at the age of 11. I think I got that correct. First-round pick of the in the NHL to the Edmonton Oilers. Memorial Cup champion with the London Knights. 145 point scorer in the OHL, may I add. And played plenty of games in the NHL, also overseas. A true professional now retired Robbie Shrimp. Rob, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for the intro. Uh, of course. I try to keep my intro as uh, pretty, what do you call it, wide range and exciting as I can. <laughs> and, and of course, you're doing, re- you're doing a recording via Bluetooth while you're driving, so it's good. So um, it's good that you're taking the time to come on on your busy schedule. I know a lot of schedules have freed up <laughs> as of late, given what's going on, of course. But we're getting back to reality here in the world, and, you know, it's good to have you on, of course. And we have a lot that we're going to get into, okay? And to start it off, I want to start with talking about our mutual friend, Evan McGrath, because he's actually the guy who got us acquainted to do the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah Evan, is, uh, I've known Evan for a long time, since we were kids, we played against each other, since, uh, you know, squirt, running into each other at tournaments, and, um, you know, what a great hockey player Evan is, and uh, had a great career himself, and, uh, won a Memorial Cup in Kitchener, so his path was pretty cool. And always, obviously, we kept an eye on each other, same age, kind of prospects growing up together. And uh, you know, he's a really good guy, and, and I appreciate him actually introducing us to each other. So um, really good dude. Now we're circling back, and we're kind of helping each other out in, in the business world, so to speak, and kind of a supporting to each other, trying to open up doors for each other and, um, you know, just help out any way we can. Definitely. Now, I know Brooksy, of course, got myself and Evan equated, so definitely very happy that he certainly got us equated. And you can check out Evan's previous edition. It was episode 12, special edition, episode 12, certainly not our 12th episode as a show. But overall, with Evan, he's looking up to somebody. His father-in-law is Dougie Gilmore. That's that's pretty freaking threatening. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad role model. I mean, Dougie, well, that's a great uh, father-in-law. I bet you the hockey talk there at dinner time is uh, 
uh, you're probably Evans Mont talking too much. Those stories would be great to be able to listen to and to learn from. Uh, you know, Dougie had a group. Obviously, everyone knows what Doug Gilmore did in his career. So, um, yeah, Evan, the smart, smart play by him, marrying into that great hockey family. <laughs> right choice, eh, Brooksy? Oh, I think so. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, again, Rob, you know, you were on Spitting Chicklets recently, and we have no problem. Obviously, we talk a lot about chicklets on here. I know Brooksy is a, a mutual friend with Paul Bizonette. It's certainly an exciting podcast they have going on there without, you know, obvious obvious kudos over to them what they've done but you're on episode 277 and obviously we are pre-recorded so we since our recording now we're recording maybe it's a little bit longer and people hear the show uh but i want to bring it up first right off the hop about 44 vision hockey your platform uh and everything i know you jumped into talking about it a lot on the show so uh with spit and checklets on that episode 277 but if you wanted to just to kind of give a little bit of a background about it, how people can follow it, maybe just a quick kind of description about what it is. Usually I was going to save this at the end, but I thought I would do this first uh, just to give a, a talk about what you're doing currently after you retired from hockey. I appreciate it. Yeah, so we just uh, 44 Vision is uh, a, a platform where we collected a, a, a plethora of knowledge and experience from players uh, from both the men's and women's game. And what we do is we, we circle that knowledge back into the game through um, the clients or the players that come to our platform through their own game film. So their own game scenarios is, you know, we go in there, we check it out and show where we, you know, they could have made better decisions or give them details in the scenarios that we find them in. Um, and, you know, we just coming from our experience in the game and the knowledge that we've gathered through our journeys, all of us are unique. We have, uh, you know, we have about six Olympic women, te- uh, member, six Olympic team member women on our platform. Um, we have four or five NWHL girls, so we have, you know, really trying to have a big impact and growing the women's game and helping, having those girls help grow the game at that, you know, youth level. And we're not no different on the men's side, going in and, and working on that and working on players' game scenarios. Uh, guys like Danny Sivret, um, Freddie Meyer, Glenn Metropolitan. So there's a lot of not, a lot of knowledge on there. Eddie Lack. I mean, I can go on the, pl- the platforms there, and all the coaches are on there. There's a lot of great names on there. Got guys that had great careers that have a lot to offer um, for players on an individual basis. And I think what's important is, um, you know, having it be in as where my like, through my career is a lot of the video. It is all the video is more geared towards the team, right? It's more system work. It's not so much coming in the room and, and hey, you had this opportunity. If you would have taken advantage of this detail or that detail. It's more kind of system and geared towards the team, right? So this is a, a platform where these players can elevate their games and get information from high-level, you know, ex-players and some current players in the women's game, and you know, take that and, and use it into getting to the, where they want to be in the game. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. I started doing it for some pro guys, and the result and the feedback was was really positive, and they really enjoyed it, and it really helped. So going from doing it on my own to I'd rather I, you know, I kind of wanted to build a team out of it and create lanes for other people in the game that wanted to do it this unique way and now we're at about 32 coaches um Fantastic. so yeah that's, that's where we're at with 44 vision see Brooksy like we've 
you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show too that have done a lot after hockey. And of course, we're going to have one that's going to be getting uploaded recently after this one is uploaded with Gavin Morgan. And just a lot of effects of what people are doing after the game, even with Steve McIntyre being a fireman. And just obviously, I just mentioned Gavin Morgan and just even Evan McGrath. Everyone is giving back to the game in their own specific way. And 44 Vision Hockey is fantastic. And you, it's on Facebook, uh, Rob. And I think you also have other platforms. I know you had a website and development as well and speaking of that facebook page uh, you had a recent upload too with you had your puck on the stick i believe that was you and you were shooting and holding the like you're shooting slash shot through the puck if you want to call it that it went bar down when you were standing near the boards that was you right yeah that was just on monday yeah that that is that was sick okay not there's nothing that sounds better than going bar down i know you know that pretty good brooksy knows that pretty good I didn't do it as much when I played, okay? But <laughs> when I did do it, you know, it causes for a big celebration. But that was pretty pretty cool uh, what you did there with that upload. But you can look at all that. You're on Facebook. Are you on – do you have the website fully developed yet or do you yeah. have other areas? Yeah, the website is the number 44visionhockey.com. And uh, we have some great partnerships on there as well. Not only did we look at kind of going in and helping the player on an individual basis in the, as far as the game film, but – also as resources to build as a player. Uh, you know, we made some great partnerships to start off with Instat. That was the main one to get the game film. And then for off-ice stuff, uh, mind-body fusion is a mental resiliency test that you take, and it kind of helps you with building a program towards building, you know, your mental resiliency, your mental preparation. Uh, Jeff Lebecchio with Ripped Hockey, the off-ice side of it, that was really important. Um, we have, you know, some products, defiance fuel. So the things that we add on there, they're not just kind of random and throwing it out there. We put it all together where I wanted to build a platform where a, we're building both sides of the game as far as men's and women's and giving women the ability to have a lane, to be experts and give that back to the game. And then also having the players that come to our platform, they have every resource and that's what we're working on doing. Um, you know, with all the partnerships that we built, there's usually a business transaction. If you say use 44 vision hockey code, you get this percentage off. That's usually a business transaction. We've actually taken that and put that into a scholarship. We circumvent that into the, into the organizations and have them submit who they feel would, you know, maybe, a, maybe couldn't afford it or maybe could be deserving and, and would really benefit from working from a high level with a high level coach on an uh, individual level. So it's, it's a unique platform in some sense. And I think it's, you know, it's got the, the legs to really help the game grow a lot. And I'm, I'm really excited about the women's side of it because these girls that are on there are, are A, they're unbelievable at hockey and they're brilliant and they care and their mentorship is going to go a long way in helping girls realize what they can, you know, achieve and what levels they can get to. It's, and that's amazing stuff. Now, Brooksy, you know, the giving back to the community when you're a hockey player is so important to just giving back to the world if you have that knowledge, right? And I know we have, you know, a lot of things that we're going to get into on the show within the next half hour, 40 minutes or so. Uh, but just overall, like, it's just a great gift. Like you both can jump in on this. It's just, if you have that knowledge, you're able to give back to the game and then you have people drive in on the platform and jump into it and it just grows that it's a lot like a business. It's a lot like a platform or even a podcast, like our podcast, or even I guess spitting chiclets as well. You just grow and grow the guests that you have people that invest into it and just the knowledge that can be given into those platform, whatever it may be. It's just useful to help with our, quote unquote next generation or even people that are currently in the sport that need to learn or just overall whatever the topic is just learn new kind of avenues about it 
Well, that's the beauty of hockey, I find. And, uh, you know, Rob can attest to this is, you know, it's such a small community, even though how massive it is and amount of players, like everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. And the one thing I think I'd say 95% of hockey players can do is after the game, you can move on and, you know, be friends with a guy. You can fight a guy. You can have a beer after. It's uh, one of those sports where it's, uh, you know, everyone comes together because it's such an amazing sport. And I feel that the, the integrity of uh, the guys and everything um, is such at a high level that we all come together and we want to help e- each other out on or off the ice. It's, it's pretty amazing that we're able to do that. Definitely. And that, that's what's big about just being on a platform all in all, just kind of an outlook. And you can check out. I, I, I love it, Rob. I thought you did a great job explaining it to, as I said, on episode 277 with Chicklets. And you know what? That's why I kind of jumped into a different kind of areas with it that you may not have touched on in there. But certainly worth giving a check out, not just the episode there, but just overall as platform is fantastic. Now, like I said, we have a couple things we're going to get into. I say a couple in a kind of a short form, um, but over the next, like I said, half hour or so. So we're going to dive right into kind of the meat and potatoes outside of uh, when you, what you're currently doing now from when you played. And I'm going to rewind a little bit. When you scored 300 goals at the age of 11, okay, this is something that you've also talked about. But first off, did you get a plaque for that, a jersey ceremony or anything or, or what? Because you probably caused a couple – issues towards shortages of red lights okay because you obviously lit the lamp a couple 300 times so it's it's you deserve some sort of recognition did you get a plaque or kind of a jersey ceremony when you're playing there or what <laughs> no yeah with the, it was with the Syracuse Elite Crunch we were a group of 86 it's triple a team and we traveled around played probably between 80 and 100 games that year and you know I don't know. I didn't really want to correct him on the show but it was probably closer to the 400 range um <laughs> we had <laughs> I had a really good coach when I was younger, uh, Don Kernan. Don Kernan Jr. taught me how to shoot. And basically at 11, 12 years old, I had a shot that I could – I was scoring on actually junior goalies. I would go on the ice with Don Kernan when he had the junior A tryouts. And I, and at first, like, the goalies would kind of be, like, looking at Don, like, are you, sh- you know, are you shitting me? Like, what's this kid doing out here? And then they would kind of give it that, like, half try. And then I'd start going, like, far down. And then they'd be like, you know what I mean? They, you could see him, like, snap too. Then kind of get, like – then they'd start trying – and then when they start trying, I'd still be sniping, and they got frustrated and frustrated, right? Um, so at that level, I just at a young age, I got some really good advice and I got some good coaching, and it, I just felt really comfortable with shooting, and it that opened up my vision of the game because I felt like I could basically score from anywhere. Um, and then my shot was at that level where, you know, the goalies, 11, 12 year old goalies, um, I could I could hit really small holes from anywhere on the ice, and they were coming pretty hard, so. It was a lot of the games, it would be four, five, six goals, and then it'd be kind of like the coach, would be like, hey, you know, let's get some people involved. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> time to pass. He was basically yeah, a cheat code, Brooksy. He's basically a cheat code when he played at that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, <laughs> but it's so funny because, you know, we had a joke with Evan be- about beating uh, Gretzky's record in minor hockey. I know that was a rumor going around, and it could be true. We don't know for sure yet, but because he was up there uh, a couple of those years. So, I can only imagine the competition you guys had playing against each other and uh, only imagine if you guys did play together, what it would have been like at a young age. That almost happened. Uh, I think his name was Rob Van Allings was the coach of Toronto Red Wings. I believe the name of the team was, if I'm not mistaken. And it was David Bowen, uh, Evan McGrath, and yeah. some other guys on there. I'm, I'm missing, but those two obviously stick out to me the most. Um, and at 11 years old, they, we got the like they, 
we, I, I wanted to go. My parents were like, you're not leaving. You're 11 years old. And I was so <laughs> mad, you know, but, you know, there was that offer to go up there because, you know, that, that was the competition, right? For us, we were kind of going around upstate New York or, or like even whatever, Western New York had good teams, Buffalo Regals, uh, West Seneca, um, those, there was teams there, but like when we go up to Toronto and play those teams like the Marlies and the Red Wings, it was, that was the competition. So those were always great, you know, button heads with those guys, seeing them at different tournaments and, and having those challenges where, uh, you know, gotten to get to know them and see where your level, where your level was at and where it could, you know, where it needed to be kind of thing for other guys. Or, you know, for me, I was trying to set the bar. Like that was my, I didn't really show up to compete. I showed up to dominate when I, you know, at a young age, that's how I felt. It wasn't just like a, let's just go have fun on the weekend thing. Like I really wanted to win. I really wanted to be the best. So it was, it was fun having those challenges against Evan and Bowles and, uh, you know, see who come out on top. See now, you know what, like this is, this will be kind of a point that attests to when you played, but also currently what you're doing now kind of turns it both together, but mostly for our Canadian listeners, this point will be for, uh, minor hockey development in the United States has more of a unique way of development in terms of league tiers that actually Canada's trying to adopt and more so, uh, but competitiveness at the scholastic level is where it is different in the States, like college hockey and high school hockey in particular, but we're here in Canada that it's the most uh, the major junior route, uh, like the OHL and so on, where you obviously played with London, uh, was, was is like previously being groomed in the rep system before that, AAA system when you were younger to now. There's obviously a change from when you were playing playing in development of the United States kind of tier before coming up to go to the OHL. And now, like a lot of people from Canada are going over to the United States to play like Honey Bake, to name a couple, right? There's a couple programs in the States that are well-recognized. Uh, but one thing in the States, like, do you find the development of hockey when you played and even when now that they were following the speed of the game more and kind of putting hitting on the back burner now like Canada's doing? Because it seems like if I recall, Brooksy, you can say this, too. I kind of feel like when you played against United States players in comparison to Canada, they were always fast and annoying to play against, to be honest. Like when you're Canadian, you play against an American, the rivalry's there, the speed was big, but I always felt like Canada was always on it with hitting, right? It was just hit, body contact, finish checks, true Canadian hockey, if you will. But now the game's kind of turned from that, and it is just pure speed. So, like, is the USA development now kind of sticking to that speed kind of mentality, or is it kind of not really changed from when you played? Um, I think now it's what's going on is, from my my vision of it, my opinion of it, it's, it's a massive overload of skill and, you know, working on skill development, skill development, skill development, which – it's really good, but it's also – I think there's a healthy balance of being able to understand when to implement. And that's – that's not to bring it back to 44, but that's kind of why we – that's why we're here. It's, it's to understand where this goes into the game. When you know, Same thing with analytics. Analytics do a great job of organizing the game. But for me as a player, it was always like, okay, now what? Like, not, okay, I got my shot chart. I got my analytics. I got this, but like, now what? And it's like having the knowledge and having the vision of being in those positions – from experience at high levels of being able to pass that knowledge on to now what? Um, when you do the skill development, you get these kids now that are amazingly skilled at 12, 13, 14, young ages, but more skilled than they've ever been. It's, it's the now what? What do you do with that? It's it's more, I think that's important to balance it out. Um, to your point of what, it was always an emphasis on speed. Um, you know, 
and just just to be honest with you, and from my experience, it was it was always tried to be that was tried to be uh, pushed on me or emphasized towards me. But I saw the game differently. I saw a game in finding holes, changing speeds, finding pockets, and making windows bigger. By going faster, I felt like it made windows smaller. So why would I want to make a window smaller when I can extend the window bigger, make the opportunity bigger for the the next play? Uh, just how I saw it a little differently, and I, I think there's there's value in speed for sure. I mean, the game has totally changed and. Guys are so fast now, but it's also, that's the thing. What do you do? It's, what's the point of speed? What are you trying to achieve? I think it's about creating bigger windows of opportunity, whatever that is. Speed burst gives you a breakaway. That's a big opportunity, right? That's a big window. Uh, yep. Changing up speed, slowing up, whatever. There's, there's got to be a rhyme and reason behind everything that you do. And I think whether it's using speed or if you play a lateral game, okay, if you're playing a lateral game, what are you trying to do? And if that's creating bigger windows, then that's a positive thing. Definitely. That's my opinion on it. Uh, to be yeah, because it's for me like speed was my game, and I didn't have the I would say the the, the hands that you did or the vision, you know. Like uh, my game was purely on speed and my shot. So Slap my game was totally yeah from right right <laughs> top of the circles. Uh, it's dangerous. They didn't know where it was going. Neither did I. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> but uh, the beauty of it, like uh, like I said, for yourself, you had that vision, you had the, that stick handling. You were able to do that. Like, you know what? I wish I was able to do that because that would have took my game to a whole new level. And I started to change and do that as I got older. You know, when I went over to Europe, my game got so much better. And uh, because I started to do what you were saying is like, you know, we, I was so fast. But by changing my speed, the amount that opened up for me to have those bursts of breakaways, like I was averaging two, three breakaways a game in Europe just because of my speed. But it became because I was changing my speed. And it's exactly what you said. I wish I would have done that earlier. But, you know, back then, like I was just like, get the puck deep, skate as hard as you can hit because that's the way I played. But uh, it was amazing the difference when you were able to just, you know, switch your levels of speed and what, what you could accomplish. Yeah, I think, you know, to the, that's kind of where we're at. I keep going, but I have to go back because that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I think about all the time. It's 44 Vision is because now what, what it happens is, Brooke, to use, what happens is, is people are kind of stuck to the resources that are in their community, right? And by having this platform, having this group of people that have played the game, have knowledge, have experience, you get to bring that wealth of knowledge. All, all, you're not stuck just in your community, whoever's the coach in that community, right? Now you have other views, you have other opinions of things from people that have had success doing it. So it's not a theory, right? It's like, hey, try this. And it's you get new ideas. When you go as a kid, 12, 13, let's say you're in Fulton, New York, and you go up to Canada to, to a hockey camp, you see new things and you learn and you evolve, right? Like, yep. that's something that's not from your community. For me, like I said, I was fortunate. I had Don Kern and Donnie Kern Jr., who I think are – Donnie Kern Jr. is the best shooting coach in the world, the best shot in the world I've ever seen. I've played in all the leagues. And Don Kern saw the game very well. But just not to go that at my community, but I'm just saying in, in general, this gives it a chance for to get that new kind of information and different fits for different players. So I think it's uh, – from your experience now, Brooksy, now you can explain that. You know what I mean? You, that has value going back to somebody who's mm-hmm. whatever age, 13, 14 years old. You see him going 100 miles an hour, and you're like, hey, buddy, like, watch this. Like, try a stutter step here. Slow up a little bit. Gain a little mm-hmm. bit of gap between you and the D, and then go for the breakaway. Next thing you know, that kid's like, oh, my God. Right? Opens his eyes. Opens his world up. Um, yeah, and it, 
well, it's it's amazing how the game has changed to that. Like you said, like with yourself and all these, th- all you guys coming together for this 44 vision of everyone that has like, you know, for myself, it would be, I'd be teaching the kid how to do the half clapper right in front of the goalie, <laughs> you know, but like, I and special. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, you know, yourself with your stick handling and vision and, and you know, um, the guy with his shot, there's just so many things having that core group is so amazing and it's such a great thing for kids to be a part of it is and now you know what like it's it's all part of the development has certainly changed like i said one thing that kind of bothers me is the hitting side of things in canada where they're kind of pulling away from that and teach at an older age but again it's it's a part of the development i guess and i won't go against hockey canada or u.s hockey canada or anything like that but overall rob since you know we're going to be dive diving into a lot of things after you know your minor hockey success obviously which corrected is not 300 was about 400 goals not not too bad i don't think uh after after that minor hockey transition right into uh the OHL, right? In Mississauga, then obviously to London. We're obviously, you know, taking like, it's a little bit of a higher height than playing minor hockey, right? You go right to the OHL and you're coming over to North America. And then with London, you have success. You win a Mem Cup. And keeping it brief here, and I'm not taking anything away from the Sioux Greyhounds or anything because they're part of the local end of the show. But London is so superior, it seems, in the league, okay, in the OHL. And you guys had a lot of talent when you guys are playing. Like you played with Corey Perry, uh, Dave Bowen, I believe you were with as well. There was other guys that you were with. Is there something in the water in London? Because even then, because that was the first Mem Cup they got, but even since then, the success that that team has, not that they've won every Memorial Cup since, but they're, they've always been kind of a powerhouse, it seems like. Is there something in the water there? Because the sex, success just seems to always follow. And you also, you had great success there as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, the minor details are what add up. And I think Mark, Mark and Dale Hunter are brilliant hockey people. Um, and everything kind of what the decisions they make are, are towards winning. Um, right from, you know, the way everything they do is towards winning. The people they put in place there from marketing to, uh, you know, game day people to the players that come on board. It's always and when Dell makes it right down to when Dell makes the decision on the bench of like changing up a line, change the line for a reason. Cause he watches the game. He knows the detail. He sees the momentum of the game swinging and he needs to do something. And he makes a decision when he makes a decision. It, it, it's never one of the things as a player. You're like, what the hell is the coach doing right now? He makes a decision, changes the line on the fly. Next thing you know, well, from our, my time with him, it was like, hey, Presti, you're going with Shrimpy. Presti goes out, buries a guy. We get the puck. We get the momentum. We get a scoring chance or get a goal. And it was like, man, he just changed the line on the fly. And, that, like, the success from the decision worked in, like, 30 <laughs> seconds. You know what I mean? Like, he's that in tune to the game. Like, that's how smart of a guy he is in the game. Um, it's not a guess. They know what works, and they put the time in, like, you know, small details like Mark Hunter works probably harder than anybody else in the league. He goes and sees players, he watches them, and he knows what he's getting. Um, doesn't take it, you know, he does have scouts that he relies on, but he trusts them very well. And they usually bring in what he likes. They know what he likes, but then to stamp it, he goes and watches. So just no different than anything else, you know, if any product that you want that you're building a business on, so to speak, you want to make sure for yourself with your own eyes. And I think they do a hell of a job of getting there and watching it. And they, they get what they, they they see the hole they need. They see the the need that they need for the team, you know, coming up, and they, they patch that hole with the right the right player. And players go there and succeed. And when they don't, they you know they do make the right trades. When they make trades, they 
they get great draft picks, you know, and they, they make smart plays. Uh, I think they're brilliant hockey minds, and they, they just – that's the thing. Is, well, it just shows have, what they have done there because the amount of NHL studs and players that they put out coming from London, I, I think it has to be one of the highest in the OHL, if I'm not mistaken, because, you know, like I know, you know, I played with Dennis Weidman. I played with Danny Savret. You know, Girardi, you know, there's so many like big guys, some of them you know, still playing, you know, or it's uh, London is, uh, is is such a good place because I know now what you guys have set, you know, with yourself on top of the coaches, everyone wants to go there in the OHL. You know, you hear nothing, but it's great to play there. It's a great city. There's just so many things with London that it brings from when you guys were there. Yeah, no, it's the fan base is, is the best. I, I mean, it's my best experience in my my professional career. Um, really was the fans support you. And then that goes back to the Hunters. Like, we did stuff in the community all the time. I met so many great people in that community just from going out doing autograph signing stuff, uh, whatever. I know it was probably, it was for marketing, but like going there and being in front of the community all the time and being involved, it, it made you feel part of it. And at a teenage, you know, at the teenage years, being away from home, it's it, that made us feel like we were home. And then when you go out and play in front of those people that you now consider kind of like family, you're performing for them. You want to make them proud, and you want to, you know, you want to put a show on for them. It just brings out a whole other element. And you never want to disappoint in front of the home fans because you feel, you know, almost like one with them. So uh, the building's amazing. The organization's amazing. I can't speak highly enough about them. I think they're great people. They're, they do a great job and. Like you said, everybody wants to go there. It's not. It's not unknown. You go there and from play in front of 9,100 people, and you get to be treated like a, like a pro guy by a guy that played 20 years pro, 3,000 penalty minutes, had 1,000 points, knows the <laughs> game. Mark Hunter scored 50 goals in the show one year. Had unbelievable hockey mind. Like the, when you go there, you're you're kind of trusting as a player. You're like, I think you know, these guys are gonna help me get to my dream. Is what you feel. If these yeah. guys, if these guys can't, then I better you know I gotta figure something out. Because they, you know, they know how to craft hockey players. See, and also you have radio experience with Prust, I believe, too. You were touching on that prior, but I think I know you did some uh, radio kind of stuff. You guys did your own little, little show there, which I found pretty, uh, pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was I, again. I touched on it. That, that made us feel part of it. Like, you know, I can't even say how many people call. Oh, I love you and Prusty on the morning show, or <laughs> you guys were hilarious this morning. You know, they bring it up. So it also created like dialogue for you with the fan to like have something to talk about you know what i mean like whatever it just kind of creates a a little bit of communication and and for us it built momentum going into the you know we did it every friday morning of a home game so it built up momentum in the city and you know then we had you know rivalry with kitchener so when kitch is coming in we talk about that and Presty talk about his scraps from you know with clarkson or whatever it might be the fans got a little bit a little of insight a little more insight than most people would get right we're on there talking about whatever and uh it was great i can't yeah i can't say it enough the word great and, coming out of <laughs> and, awesome. love that friends would love friends yeah friends sure they would love that too but fans would love it right and that's the big thing we're now and brooks i know this is one thing we really want to jump on was after the expectation that you had in the ohl and even playing in london and the guys that you played with and then you go 
uh, into the NHL draft, of course, and you know you you got drafted first round, right? And I believe you might have been a little bit later than you expected. Uh, so overall, Brooksy, I know you had to, the first topic with this question, so I'll jump over to you right now about him uh, going in the in the first round of the Oilers. Well, yeah. Well, my quick question is like, you know, coming off a season of 145 points in 57 games, like that's that's pretty unheard of, you know. And uh, you know, I'm just curious, you know, what was going, what was your feeling when you, uh, you know, when the draft is going on, you know, had you talked to Edmonton a lot? Uh, was there some other teams that were, you know, that you were hoping or at that time that you were going to jump on that were going to take you earlier? Um, you know, how did you feel when your name was called? Uh, you know, you were 25th overall. It doesn't matter when. It's a first round. It's amazing. Uh, but, you know, after that season, I was just curious how that uh, how you felt when uh, everything uh, came to an end and your name is called. Yeah. So, I mean, the, this big season I had was after on, I was after, after I got drafted by Edmonton. OK. Yeah. It's, I just not just so it's on par. But um you know, during the draft meetings, it was it was such a weird time because I was slotted higher, and there were some meetings where it was like, well, you know, there's no chance you're going to be at our pick, but if, if you are, kind of thing. And so, basically, when that pick would come, I would, I was ready to get out of my seat. <laughs> just keep getting disappointed, keep getting disappointed. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I just kind of keep getting slugged almost. It felt like, but, um, you know, it, it was the Oilers had some dialogue with them, knowing the, you know, the head scout. Lauren Davis and, and Crash Brad Davis and I did power skating with uh, with the Lauren's daughter Leanne Davis. Um, so I had some dialogue with with the organization, so to speak. And you know, I didn't. Yeah, it was the meetings went well and um, getting picked was it was like a relief, right? Like I said, I, I there was five or six teams that gave me the you know if, there's no way you're going to be at this pick, but if you are. So that was like finally kind of like okay I finally went right it was it was a tough day in some sense some aspects I don't know I think we're all competitive and when you keep getting that like ego shot ego shot and I also had 100 <laughs> at 140 people there so it felt like a lot of it was a very pressure packed day for me um, yeah it was it, it was what it was now now I think about it right it's more of a man I got a great opportunity ahead of me but that day it was a little bit more like felt like I went 12 rounds. Yeah, I bet. See, like you got like the Rangers, and I believe you were a Ranger fan growing up. They picked sixth and nineteenth that year, okay, and they selected Al Montoya sixth and Laurie Korpakoski nineteenth. Uh, and you know what? I'm sure when the Rangers were growing going up, especially for that nineteenth pick, I'm sure you there was must have been a thought in your head saying, "Yo, this could be me getting drafted." to my favorite team, like taking my host hat off here for a second. I I'm a leaf fan. I guess I'm a sucker for pain. Uh, but overall, like if you have your team going up, you must've been like, Oh, I hope they call my name. Or were you at the point where you're like, I just want to get picked. Like, I don't, I don't really care. Not that you were waiting, you know, you went a little bit later than you expected or should have, but still, I'm sure you would have been, you know, pretty excited if you would have went the Rangers route. Yeah, that was, yeah, being close to home, being been playing, you know, I did Mark Messier's off wing snapshot on Marty Bedore a million times as a kid. I mean, that was I played Mike Richter as goalie every <laughs> at a Rangers mask and everything. I, I, there was a stint and uh, stretch in my life I wanted to play goalie, but 
Um, yeah, that you know that would have been really great being close to home. My my mom and my dad didn't miss a game in junior. He came to almost every single game. So uh, having that in mindset too, being right in New York would have been awesome. Playing FG, those kind of things run through your mind. But at that time is, yeah, that passed. And then like I said, it just we just felt I was like, am I ever going to get picked? But now you're growing up and, and having in hindsight be 2020. It's you know if I could give any message to someone coming up know younger it really doesn't matter it doesn't mean anything no it does really just a day it's just a number and it's a draft pick it doesn't mean anything um you can get drafted in the third round you can get drafted fifth round i mean there's plenty of examples it all lies within yourself to get what you want out of out of hockey and keep driving if the draft pick doesn't mean anything um i put way too much emphasis on it and way too much pressure on myself and stress on myself from it and if i can like i said if i can pass anything on like don't hang on draft picks and don't hang on the draft. Uh, it's really just a day, and it's a good day. You know, when you get picked, it's great. But in, in the sense of your career, uh, it doesn't – I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything because that is what you drive. You're playing junior, like the draft's coming up, you want to get drafted. But in, in some way, I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean shit yet. It, no, it doesn't. It works just starting, and there's plenty of opportunity ahead of you. So if it's a disappointing thing, use it for fuel. And if it's something where you're celebrating, don't hang your hat on it too long. No, that's right. And then obviously you get drafted. You started your career in the HL where obviously you had success um, in the American Hockey League. But after all was said and done in Edmonton, kind of getting to our third topic here, it's after Edmonton, it's it's Long Island, right? Where I think it's almost safe to say you found your niche in in a way of sorts, right? You you go over to Long Island, uh, and like I said, won't go into too much of terms of um, an experience because some of you obviously touched on. But playing in New York, I know Brooks he's familiar with a couple guys uh, as much as you know. If you're a Toronto fan, I know you play with Tavares there as well. But when you go over to Long Island and you find that fit, it took the time. But it must have been a, re- a relief, right, to be in a new atmosphere, that change. And then in your time in Long Island, you saw yourself play with some good players too, which probably helped with that kind of finding your niche and just getting all things kind of together in a way of sorts. So once you're in Long Island, the guys that were there and that change, that just must have rejuvenated you. Yeah, it definitely was a shot of adrenaline or a shot of relief in some aspects and kind of clean slate, so to speak and go and, and create what you want out of your journey was what my mentality was. And that now is your chance to, what do you want out of this? And, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, great group of guys, honestly, it was such a good group of dudes. Uh, got a nice fit with Blake Como and as a line mate and we hit it off really well. Had some, you know, some decent success, you know, we didn't break any records by any means, but for us, we were a pretty good little third line and we, you know, got out there and created for the team. And then, the locker room was really tight, played ping pong every day, like Kyle Poso, Mark Streit, uh, a few other guys, Milan Yersina would just hang around the room all the time. So it was a, it was a great atmosphere. And for me, it was, it was a definitely a relief to kind of start, start fresh, um, you know, kind of had three years in the minors. Uh, my career looked a little bit bleak at that time. I didn't know where I was going to go. And, you know, almost just a little shot of that hope and that little bit of excitement. It was amazing how quickly my game came back. My last year in the minors wasn't anything to really write home about, um, you know. So you lose your confidence. The game's tricky, and I think you guys understand that. Well, once the confidence goes away, once you don't have belief in yourself, it's you, it's a you're done. Kind of a, you're absolutely so, done. Yeah. 
you do yeah. better than any. I mean, anybody could take my spot really at that point with the way I was playing, and it just had I had no confidence left and no, I'd say no hope. It just oh, didn't man. seem like it was I'm going a- anywhere. I didn't see the light. Yeah, the, uh, I'm also curious, because uh, you were talking about ping pong, how many rackets or uh, paddles did Gillies break playing in, uh, in there? Because <laughs> <laughs> the gill train is a man. beauty. He was hilarious. He's such yeah. a beauty, man. He'd be over yeah, like, so, touch, he'd be shadow boxing. Oh, you know, yeah. First, it scared the shit out of me, man. I was like, man, is he pissed off? Because he's like, intense. I've known him. Yeah. So we played together when we were 15 in Cowden, and uh, before before he was drafted to the O, and then I, before I was in the O, they. Uh, but yeah, he's intense, and I was just curious because <laughs> I know because I remember when he was shadow boxing before games, and I <laughs> sat in I sat in the dressing room between him and Jeremy Yablonski, and I think I had bruises before games, like it was insane. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, the Gillies, I know he's intense, but he's probably one of the best teammates you can have. As you know, he would do anything for any one of his guys that he's playing for. And uh, it's pretty amazing to watch, but, uh, I know you got to witness, uh, witness the Gill train in full effect a few times. Yeah, no, I think that what uh, shines most is what you said, what he does. It's all for his brother. He thinks, uh, as, as a team, he thinks of you as a brother and he treats you as a, as a brother. So, um, he's the man, you know, and that's, that's a great bond. And like, whatever, in that aspect with it, when the message behind what he's up to is like, he's your brother and he'll go through the wall for you. We all have our weird quirks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not the only one. So, yeah. you know, whatever he needed to get ready and do, and he did, and we all respected it. And, and when it came time to go to battle together, Gil's, yeah, Gil showed up and he was tough as nails. So, um, is it unique? For sure. <laughs> yes, I, it is. I was like, I was, I was scared. I was like, holy shit. Like uh, this fired up, man. He's like, he's like foam at the mouth. Like this guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Boxing. I was worried about his hands. He hit the wall a couple of times, concrete wall. And I'm like, you know, worried for him almost. And he's, uh, but anyways, no, Gills was awesome. He was such a good teammate. And uh, for me, happy. It kind of as a guy also who got us called a second chance there. Gil's getting this chance there in the island was, you know, you're pulling for him too, right? And, you know, watching how his path went, you know, 10 years down back in the minors, he got that chance up back with the Islanders and you're pulling for him. You want him to do well. And every time he gets him to scrap, you're pulling for him and he's a brother. So it's, uh, his story is a great story as well. It is big for sure. And then obviously Zen and Kanopka is a guy that you two are kind of acquainted with too as well, right? Which he must have been a different teammate than what Trevor Gillies was because like you said shadow boxing. I'm sure Zen and Kanopka didn't do that. <laughs> Z was like the organizers. Like Z was such a good guy for the room. Unbelievable. Like you want a Zen and Kanopka on any team you play for. Uh, he makes sure that the boys are bonding. He makes sure the boys are together. And it's like the boys, you know, when you go from junior to pro – the expression for the boys goes away real quick. Uh, it's more, it's a business and it's not time to be, you know what I mean? Like when it's, it's rightfully so, I mean, some guys are doing it for their family, right? It's not time to be screwing around when you're playing junior. It's kind of that teenage years and it is for the boys. You're doing stuff like that. But like Z was the best guy getting everybody together, making sure it was bonding and making sure it was staying a team oriented. Even while you're in the show, you got a family, you can still pop in for a couple hours and get watch Sunday night football and, you know, shoot the shit a little bit with the guys outside of the hockey, you know, atmosphere. So Zenon was unbelievable as a teammate and I can't say enough about him. And then when it came time to go again to, I use, maybe use, I wasn't the big tough guy battle or we'll go to war together. Like Zenon was the first guy, eat a puck with his face, win a face yeah. out, win a battle. 
fight a guy that you either you as a teammate you're like yeah oh, Zen and maybe you should like Gills take that one you know what I mean but Z would take it like he was always anything for the team kind of guy and uh, you know those kind of guys have so much value to an, uh, to a hockey team. Yeah, like well, me knowing Zen and I've known Zen in a long time because we played uh, you know summer hockey together. We went into a couple of summer hockey tournaments. He's the same way in summertime hockey when it's just supposed to be for fun that as he is in you know playing in the nhl like like we were playing in a tournament just for you know it was like a charity tournament and for fun and and he's sliding blocking shots like this guy is putting his body on the line in like a charity game but doesn't care because that's the only thing way he knew how to do it and then he'd go have a great time and make sure we were all there to have fun uh, you know, it's exactly what you said about him, you know, cause he's another guy, like you just said, he'll fight anyone. He'll do anything for his teammate. And, uh, you got to play with two beauties that I know well. And it was, it's, uh, it's great to hear the story back. Cause that's how I've seen them my whole life as those kind of guys. So to, to hear you say that about him, it's, it's great to hear. Yeah, See, no, going from the Island to the Thrashers where obviously the atmosphere is different in various ways. I know this is also something you touched on previously, but the talent that was there, Lad, Wheeler, Kane, yourself, big buff. Uh, it's just, there's just kind of two parts. This, when you enter the Thrashers locker room, my one question is I need to ask, and if you want to give a for sure answer to it or not, that's fine. But was Bufflin in shape first off? Uh, secondly, we know when you jumped on spin chicklets, you talk about the atmosphere, but speaking of the atmosphere in kind of a different way, since all that team on that team, sorry, you had all this talent, would have the team been better if it was in a better atmosphere? And I don't mean to put down Atlanta by any means. Like, I feel like every time someone in the media talks about the Thrashers, it's just putting them down, putting them down, putting them down. They don't even exist in the league anymore. But I feel like that's almost a valid point that if you're in a better atmosphere with more crowd and the momentum is, you know, more evident in a whole mice kind of situation in particular, I feel like the team would have been different. Yeah, I think there's a... When you're in that atmosphere, they're called a market, so to speak. There's an accountability to win. And if there's no accountability to anybody as far as the community-wise, it, it can slip. you got to have pride in being in front of the fans. And that, I think I, I mentioned it in London, and that's how we felt. We were proud to be – we wanted to make them proud. Um, put a performance on for them, you know. You get, when I get schlacked 6-1, to one, you're hanging your head where, you know, in the scenario we're talking about right now, it's just like, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah exactly there's no, there's no accountability right like there's you know not to say that like in London you'd be 6-1 everyone's going to be like the town the city community and like you know kind of shit on you either but it was kind of like yeah you know you guys got better at least somebody even saying that to you like you know you guys got better kind of thing it's like a dad saying it to you you know you weren't your best um, at least somebody's interested yeah and now for was- sure was Bufflin in the shape though? Like, cause every time the media talks about Bufflin in the off season, it seems like it's like, nah, I ain't working out this summer. Then when he comes back into play in the game, the guy is right back into game form. It seems like he changes his body quicker, more often than actors do for roles. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure what you consider being in shape because the guy played 30 something minutes a game and he was the best player on the ice at all the time. So yeah, yeah. that's what, that's what I consider shaped. Yeah, he was in shape and he was like strong and he was effective and he was, it wasn't like he was playing 30 lazy minutes either. Like he would no. jump, be the first one to jump in the rush and then the first one and somehow be the first one back. And whether <laughs> that's at 270 or if that's at 207, who really gives a shit? Yeah. 
I don't know. Like for me, that's my how I saw. It. Nobody cared. Like Buff was Buff was the man. Like he made right. sick plays. He was always pushing the pace, and it didn't to, to the point of talking about having fan. Like it didn't matter to Buff. He showed up. Yeah. Every game. He was nasty every game. <laughs> yeah, he still and is. Yeah. yeah, he still is. <laughs> Now, now, Brooksy, I know we're gonna. I know you guys had some experience talking about with Europe, kind of before we sign off. So, and you guys are gonna have a lot of common back and forth discussion more than I can jump in with, obviously. Yeah. So, transition over to some European experiences that uh, Shrimpy had. Yeah, I just wanna, you know, what it was like because it's such a different game when you head over there. You know, with a guy like yourself who's got the vision, a great passer, and and you see the game uh, with that more space open there when you went over to. Uh, Sweden and Modo, uh, you had such a great year. You had 41 points, 55 games, which for most people in North America wouldn't think that's a lot of points. But the Swedish Hockey League there is a very defensive league with a lot of offensive players. So, it, you know, a year like that to me, when I see that, I'm like, that's a really good year in the Swedish Hockey League. Uh, you know, what did you how did you feel the difference was from going right from North America to over there. Did you, did you enjoy it more? Did you find uh, more space? Uh, you know, what was your experience for your first time over? Yeah. So I just, for me, the big difference, uh, North American, to North American ice to the Olympic size ice, uh, North America, it's, it's one pass and it's a grade a, so it's like bang, bang. Uh, in Europe, you have to string together two and th- sometimes three passes to get a, a grade a, um, so it's really a lot more skill in the asset, uh, the aspect of you got to be together as a line. When I pass to you, you got to know what the next play is. Where I think it's in tighter quarters, it's more like I can draw one, or and then if I can draw two, I can make a play. And it's a bang. Like I said, North America, it's a bang bang. Where and in Europe, it's yeah, there's all that space, so they just stay outside. Like and when you shoot from outside. You know, you might as well get a couple baseball gloves and start you know, just play catch with each other because that's what it feels like when you shoot on the goalie from that far out. It's not it's not really a dangerous risk, so to speak, or, or a dangerous shot. It's kind of a wasted shot. So when you're trying to get inside there and, and get inside the you know the the tight uh, the tight defense, like I said, it, it's like it's two and three passes to get a great A. So it, that's why the numbers are lower, and I think even you know. NHL guys were going over to the Olympics and everyone thought that it was going to be ball hockey. It's not ball hockey. It's, it's incredibly hard. Um, and it's, and then the other thing is in Europe and Sweden, especially they're such well-trained and well, uh, you know, the conditioned athletes, they play hard on the big ice. They don't just, it's not like they just sit back the whole game. Like they're actually like pressuring, you know, when one guy jumps, there's a safety belt behind that. I think in my opinion, from my experience, the Swedish hockey league was the second best league in the world outside the NHL. And, it's, you know, structured um, skills, conditioned. Like I said, the guys are all in unbelievable shape. Um, it was uh, eye-opening, to say the least. You know, I, when we're over in North America, I think we're very close-minded. We just think, don't think about the other side of the pond that much. Maybe things, have, you know, things change a lot because we've all had a, a lot of guys have had experience to come back and talk about how good it is. But, you know, my time coming over, really never thought about the other side. You know, I was always focused on the NHL didn't know what to expect and it was eye-opening and you know my coach actually Don Kern told me he said any league that you go to it's going to take you 10 games to adjust and I didn't even think when I thought coming I'm coming from the NHL coming to Sweden this isn't going to apply it applied (laughs) I had two points in the first 10 games I thought I was going to have 40 you know it's like oh 
And, it, and it's crazy because sometimes some teams in Europe, after those 10 games, you only got two points, they'll get rid of you. You know what I mean? Sometimes that oh, happens yeah. in Europe. It's cra- as you, you know, like there's a lot of interchanges because they don't have time to mess around and you're only allowed a certain amount of imports. So if you're not doing the job, that's where the European pressure comes in as a North American or an import. And uh, you got to be ready every night to play because uh, you're interchangeable pretty quick. Yeah, that's 50. I mean, if you, if you do the math on that, that was, we played a 50 game schedule. So I had two points in the first 10 games. But the thing was, like, efforts there, and, they, and there's there's some places that are like that. It's, it's the, you know, get rid of them right away kind of thing. And then there's other places. Like, I was fortunate enough to be in front of, you know, Marcus Naslin and Peter Forsberg as my general manager, and yeah. Alf Samuelson as my coach. So, obviously, yeah, they know, know the I mean? game. Like, they, they knew, and I wasn't playing bad. I, I was getting, you know, I was setting up a lot of plays and, like, hitting posts and getting yeah. chances and, and really, you know, the biggest thing is care. Like just because you come from North America to Europe doesn't, doesn't mean you don't. You, you got to care. Like you should always care. That's yeah. the thing. If you're caring and you're giving an effort, like yeah, there's gonna be some patience for you. But if you kind of come over and you're having that slump and you give it the old nonchalant, like I don't belong here, then you, then, you know yeah. that's that doesn't work anywhere really. But um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that long story. Long yeah. Story. <laughs> but were you surprised uh, by the support? Like the fan support over there is pretty amazing too in uh, in Sweden. And uh, like I know when I, I played in Switzerland, there's some amazing like burn. You know, you had 18,000. I played in Hamburg in the DEL before the team, uh, you know, ended up uh, being folding. But they were getting 16,000 fans a game. Like I couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is unbelievable. It's like the NHL in their own little country. Yeah, passion. I think there's a lot, lot of passion there, and it means a lot to them. I think the team is really the, uh, the history of the teams are really ingrained in the community, and they they're passionate. You know, they're like soccer games. Like the fans chant the whole game, and they're they're really fired up. I mean, the first I think it was one of the first couple games in Moto. Like we had a rivalry game with Lulia, and the fans were shooting road flares at each other in the stands. Me and Freddie Marvel. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is going on right now? And uh, you know. It was like, hate each other that much. and But it was cool as a player because it was a different experience. You know, like, I did talk about on Chicklets as well. I wanted to be the player in North America that, like, I, I got the fans out of the seat kind of the guy. You know what I mean? You made that play that got everybody riled up. But in, in Europe, they're up the whole game. Chin, there's a drummer. They got the chants ready. Um, uh, it's really, like, a totally different experience. And it's, it's unique for sure. I, I enjoyed it. And it was... Well, I would love the NHL to take on that mentality for the fans. I would love that to happen because it's amazing. Even when my buddies came over to watch some games and visit when they came over, like they could not believe how excited they were just to be in the stands and feel that, you know, the drums going, the chants, the, you know, like, you know, there's a, it's just this atmosphere that you're not used to in North America because you usually stand when there's a goal, you know, that's about it. And, uh, you know, you cheer when there's a fight, but to have it go the entire, you know, two and a half hours or however long the game is, it's, it's an experience I wish everyone can have. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, uh, it's passion, right? Oh, it's so different over there than it is in North America, passionately wise, right? And overall, the leagues, there's so many different leagues over there too, which is awesome. They're competitive. You have, you know, you obviously have the Dell, you have the KHL, and there's just so many kind of different avenues. And kind of the last thing that I want to ask you about over overseas in Europe, 
uh, Robbie, is that, you know, when we had Scott Darling on the show, one of our recent uploads prior to this one, was that he was waiting around, right? He didn't know where he was going. Obviously, it's different for goalies than it is players, because obviously there's kind of a couple goalies a team in comparison to maybe 9, 10, 11, or sorry, 12, 13, 14, 15 forwards, whatever it may be. And did you have that experience where you were like, okay, I'm going here, but oh shit, now I'm not going here. Uh, like, or okay, now this opportunity came up. Oh, now I'm back through again. Or was it kind of just, you knew where you were going, you had options, you chose that one, and you just had positive experience throughout, throughout in Europe. Or did you ever find yourself just waiting for that opportunity to come up or any kind of issues come up? Yeah, my last three years, I, I didn't sign until uh, three out of four years, actually. So one year in Sklefti, I signed in October. Uh, another year I signed, in, uh, the last two years I signed in October. One year, yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of sitting around not really knowing what to do. But it just, it wasn't too nerve-wracking. Yeah. It's kind of, it is, towards the end, the last one did because I had a wife. And, you know, kind of wanted security. was, like, kind of stressful. But stayed ready and just kind of mentally would tell myself like oh just like this would be i'm getting ready just in case something in north america yeah you know, i mean knowing that's not going to happen but it was you know just stayed training and stayed ready got on the ice when i could went out with the ice with the florida everglades and, and got on you know got in games stayed in practice shape so to speak um it can be stressful though for sure but opportunities always arise people always need players and, and brooksy to your point there's always the fire sale um kind of staying patient knowing that <laughs> you know what's yeah. going to happen someone's going to the team's going to get rattled after 10 games with players and then there's going to be like a market open you know in november <laughs> there's gonna be another market in december it happens every year it's just how it is and um so for some guys maybe that's i don't know if that's helpful information or what by sharing that but it's just knowing that, that there's always teams that need something if you, you stay ready and you're ready for the opportunity <laughs> <laughs> you're a fit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's but how it's you're like a slobbing it, you're slobbing it up, and then you get to, then you're going to be fired too, <laughs> right? Like, stay, kind and of mentality, you, show up and care. Yeah. And then you're looking for that work, and then there's just that sense of security that's kind of always a question. Now, getting to the last two questions, and we asked our guests these, Rob, before we let them go, the kind of, I like to call them special guest questions. Now, that is a horrible name for them, but that's fine. Uh, like, and I'll ask the first one. We And it's kind of going to put you on the spot for a sec, but if you can choose two linemates to play with you, and I think I know one of them that you're going to pick because you kind of gave him a little shout-out near the kind of midpoint at the beginning. But out of everyone you played at the professional level, so even out, not, not the OHL, just the professional level, AHL, NHL, and in Europe, what would these two linemates be that you would choose to play with if you had one more game to play with them? Uh, Robert Nielsen. And Dustin Brown. Oh, okay. Like that. That's good. I like that. See, definitely good answers. Now, Brown's just a tenacious player. Love that. But now, Brooksy, you got one too. Yeah, I was just, you know, was there a, a, a particular coach you had along the way that, uh, you know, kind of changed your your way of, uh, of your play or really took over, you know, what, uh, what kind of player you were going to be? A coach that really like influenced you and uh, you know changed you. You know, I know you had the the shooting coach there, but uh, is, was there any coach uh, you know besides him that uh, changed your career? Yeah, Steve Ludzik was a big impact for me my rookie year in Mississauga, and uh, I really respected him a lot. And 
just the way he is uh, as a human being and the way he saw the game and um, what he instilled in my game and, you know, kind of respected my game, but kind of molded it and showed me what I needed to do as far as on ice and as, as well as off ice. I mean, I came into it. I wasn't in, I didn't understand that side of the game at all. I got to that place purely on hockey ability. Um, so he helped me understand that side of it and just, uh, I respected Ludzie a ton. And I still do to this day. And I think he's, he was an awesome guy. Did it in a, in a way to me, was like a second father, but also like a friend and a, almost a, I don't want to say a cheerleader of my crew, but like made me feel good about myself kind of guy. You know what I mean? But also would kick my ass when I needed it. And then when he did it, it I respected it a ton because I knew it was where it was coming from in a good place, not kind of like backing me in the corner, like you punk kind of thing. It was more like, you need to do this and he showed me how to do it and how to execute and, and what it would do for me kind of thing, you know, explain it right through. Uh, he was a big impact for me. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm so glad you said that because I've known Steve Ludzig a very long time because he's from Niagara Falls and he used to have a conditioning camp here when we were younger before you'd head over to wherever you were playing. Uh, and uh, I got to know him really well and his family and I'm still friends with them today. And, and everything you said, it is so true. And he makes a lot of people feel that way. And I, and I, and I think that's a, a great testament to who he is. And, uh, we, you know, you know, he's in a battle right now, so we wish him nothing but the best. And, uh, but uh, what a great man. And I'm really glad you said Steve Ludzik. Yeah. He's just so much integrity and character and competitiveness and care. Uh, he's a, in a way he is with his family. You know, Marianne's an unbelievable woman as well. And, 100%. Um, I gotta say, he's lucky to have her. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes, he is. Well, she pretty much her. was the organizer of everything. She organizes yeah, awesome. everything for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're a great family, and, and uh, you know their kids are awesome. Ryan and Steve are amazing kids, and, and uh, yeah. you know, I just I think a lot of their family. And, and Steve was great for me coming in that rookie year. Really taught me a lot. So. Those are good answers right there. Now, I just want everyone to know that, see, I want to, as kept promise, it was different than his upload on Chicklets. We got new and more information. And Robbie, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show, taking the time. You're driving, you're talking via Bluetooth, you're telling us experiences, you're doing great for the for the game outside of playing. You were great to watch. I actually remember watching you play when you were with London, believe it or not. I would have been, um, I, I think I would have been close to 14, 15 years old uh, when you played. So it was like right before all that. So it's just great to watch and the players that you played with, the team, and then obviously the NHL, you know, was still great for you when you got that chance over in Long Island and you did great for the game afterwards overseas. So, you know, for you to take the time and to have the experiences on the show, I uh, couldn't thank you enough. No, I appreciate you guys thinking. I mean, and uh, hopefully anybody listening can uh, any of the stories or any of the tips help. And uh, like I said, we're about giving back to the game and whatever, whatever aspect that may be. Now, definitely check out 44 Vision. Now, Brooksy, I got to say thank you to you too, eh, I guess? Oh, yeah, might as well, right? I'm, I'm here. You might as well do that. But, uh, yeah, no, well, thanks, Robbie. I appreciate it. You, you know, I got to play against you and watch you. I, I'm quite a few years older than you, but uh, I remember when you were in the AHL and I played against you. I think I might have been in Worcester at the time. And I remember I was like, man, this kid's good. You know, so uh, I want to congratulate you on a great career and uh, – and I and I do like Dave said, you know what you're doing for the game is uh, is amazing. So thank you for taking the time, and uh, it was nice to meet you. 
You too, guys. Thanks a lot. Good luck with the pod, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again some other time. Oh, yes, you certainly will. Now, that was Robbie Shrimp, and we got Brendan Brooks. And now here, I'm going to say thank you to you, the listeners, for listening. Make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe on all the platforms of the game, including Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Podtail, Facebook, and Instagram, and the website, thegamesportshow.com. Now, this has been our special edition upload. Again, thank you. I'm here to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdown, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah. You have been listening to The Game Sports Show, powered by Gem and thegamesportshow.com. Special edition uploads brought to you by Compass Imaging and Demansky Office Interiors. Shout out to our additional sponsors and broadcasting partners, ESPN 1400, On TV, Northern Superior Brewing Company, Sports Center Bar and Grill, North Shore Sports and Auto, Northern Critters in Need, and Thrush Creative Co. 